you... Those were the words spoken to Officer Chris Carroll as he helped two bleeding men who had been shot out of their 1996 BMW E38. Chris Carroll, who retired from the Las Vegas Metro Police Department in 2010, was a bike patrol officer working a night shift on the evening of September 7, 1996, when boxer Mike Tyson won a first-round knockout match against Bruce Selden at the MGM Grand Hotel. As Chris was on his way to a report of gunshots fired, he thought it was going to be like any other night. Gunshots and police calls were a common occurrence in the Las Vegas area. When he got to the scene, he witnessed two men sitting in a 1996 BMW E38. Those men are bleeding, he realized, after seeing multiple gunshot holes in the sides of the car, and two men hunched over in the front seats. As Chris opens the door to the BMW, out falls a bleeding Tupac Shakur. Welcome to the Higher Theories Podcast. On this episode, who killed Tupac Shakur? Today, I look through the case files, dive deep into the secrets of the streets, and we try to find out who killed Tupac. We will look into Tupac's life growing up, gang violence as he grew up, his extremely notable music and acting career, and his tragic death on September 13th, 1996. I'm Jamie Miller, and this is Higher Theories. Tupac was born on June 16, 1971, in Harlem, New York. His mother, Afini, was raising two children on her own and struggled for money. The family moved homes often, sometimes staying in shelters. They moved to Baltimore, where Tupac enrolled at the prestigious Baltimore School for the Arts, at which he felt the freest he ever felt. Tupac's name was Lassane Parish Crooks at birth. After joining the Black Panther Party, his mother changed his first name to Tupac Amaru, a Peruvian revolutionary who was killed by the Spanish. Tupac later took his surname from his sister Sikia's father, another panther called Mutulu Shakur. Tupac's mother, Alice Faye Williams, was the daughter of a North Carolina maid and a high school dropout. She became pregnant with Tupac in 1970 while on bail after being charged with conspiring to set off a race war. Afini was acquitted the following year after successfully defending herself in court, displaying a gift for oration that her son would inherit. Tupac's father, Billy Garland was also a panther, but lost contact with Afini when Tupac was five years old. The rapper would not see his father again until he was 23. I thought my father was dead all my life, 
he told the writer Kevin Powell during an interview with Vibe magazine in 1996. I felt I needed a dad to show me the ropes, and I didn't have one. Tupac's Baltimore neighborhood was riven by crime, so the family moved to Marion City, California. It turned out to be a mean little ghetto, according to Robert Sam Anison's comprehensive post-humorous feature on Tupac for Vanity Fair in 1997. It was in Marin City that Afini succumbed to crack addiction, a drug her son Tupac would sell on the same streets where his mother bought her supply. Tupac's love for hip-hop would steer him away from a life of crime for at least a while. At 17 in the spring of 1989, he met an older white woman, Leela Steinberg, in a park. They struck up a conversation about Winnie Mandela. Steinberg would later recall a young man with fan-like eyelashes, overflowing charisma, and the most infectious laugh. By the time they met, Tupac was obsessively writing poetry and convinced Steinberg, who had no music industry experience, to become his manager. Steinberg was eventually able to get Tupac in front of music manager Atron Gregory, who secured a gig for him in 1990 as a roadie and dancer for the hip-hop group Digital Underground. He soon stepped up to the mic, making his recording debut in 1991 on Same Song, which soundtracked the Dan Aykroyd comedy Nothing But Trouble. Tupac also appeared on Digital Underground's album Son of the P in October that year. After the band's manager Gregory took over from Steinberg, he landed Tupac a deal with Interscope Records. A month after Sons of the P hit the stores came Tupacalypse Now, Tupac's debut album as a solo artist. Tupac often complained that he was misunderstood. Everything in life is not all beauty, he told journalist Chuck Phillips. There is a lot of killing and drugs. To me, a perfect album talks about the hard stuff and the fun and caring stuff. The thing that bothers me is that it seems like a lot of the sensitive stuff I write just goes unnoticed. In August 1992, Tupac was attacked by jealous youths in Marin City. He drew his pistol, but dropped it in the melee. Someone picked it up, the gun fired, and a six-year-old bystander, Quayad Walker Teal, fell down dead. While Tupac was not charged for Walker Teal's death, he was reportedly inconsolable. In 1995, Walker Teal's family brought a civil case against Tupac, but settled out of the court after an unnamed record company, thought to have been death row, offered compensation of between $300,000 to $500,000. In October 1993, Tupac shot and wounded two white off-duty cops in Atlanta one in the abdomen and one in the buttocks. However, the charges were dropped after it merged in court that the policeman had been drinking and had initiated the incident and that one of the officers had threatened Tupac with a stolen gun. 
The case illustrated the misrepresentation of African-American males and the attitude of some police towards them, which Tupac had been talking about in his music. What was portrayed as gun-toting gangster behavior by a lawless individual turned out to be an act of self-defense by a young man in fear of his life. All the while, Tupac's star continued to rise. Tupac believed his rap rival, Biggie Smalls, was behind the shooting, for which nobody has ever been charged. Smalls always denied he knew anything. In 2001, Dexter Isaac, a New York prisoner serving a life sentence for an unrelated crime, claimed he was paid to steal from Tupac by the artist's manager and mogul, James Henchman Rosemond, and shot the rapper during the robbery. In June 1996, Tupac released a diss track, Hit Em Up, aimed at Biggie Smalls and his label boss at Bad Boy Records, Sean Diddy Combs, ratcheting up the tension between East and West Coast rap their rivalry was fast becoming hip-hop's most famous and ugliest beef. Within three months, Tupac was murdered. In 1995, Tupac was sentenced to between one and a half and four and a half years of jail time for sexually abusing a female fan. The case related to an incident that had taken place in Tupac's suite in the New York Parker Meridian Hotel in November 1993. Tupac maintained that he had not raped the girl, although he confessed to the Vibe magazine journalist Kevin Powell that he could have prevented others who were present in the suite at the time from doing so. I had a job to protect her, he said, expressing his sorrow, and I never showed up. At the same time he was glorifying an outlaw lifestyle for death row, Tupac was financing an at-risk youth center, bankrolling South Central sports teams, setting up a telephone helpline for youth people with problems. Tupac had released a total of 11 platinum albums, four during his career, with seven more released posthumously. To date, Tupac has sold more than 75 million records worldwide. As of September 2017, the Recording Industry Association of America listed Tupac as the 44th top-selling artist of all time by album sales and streaming figures. Tupac's first album as a solo artist, Tupacalypse Now, Although it did not yield any hits, it sold a respectable 500,000 copies and established Tupac as an uncompromising social commentator on songs such as Brenda's Got a Baby, which narrates an underaged mother's fall into destruction, and Soldier's Story, which controversially spoke of blasting a police officer and dropping the cop. The song was cited as a motivation for a real-life cop killing by a teenager car thief called Ronald Ray Howard, 
and was condemned by the then U.S. Vice President Dan Quayle. There is absolutely no reason for a record like this to be published, Quayle said. It has no place in our society. With those words, Tupac's notoriety was guaranteed. Tupac's second album, Strictly For My, dropped in February 1993. It continued in the same socially conscious vein as his debut. On the gold-certified single, Keep Your Head Up, he emphasized with My Sisters on the Welfare, encouraging them to please don't cry, dry your eyes, never let up. The album featured contributions from Tupac's stepbrother, Moprim. Moprim became a member of the hip-hop group Thug Life, which Tupac started and which released the album Thug Life Volume 1 in 1994. Me Against the World When Tupac's third solo album came out on March 14, 1995, he was in jail. Its title, Me Against the World, could not have been more apparent. It reached number one in the Billboard 200 chart and is considered by many to be his magnum opus. By and large, a work of pain, anger, and burning desperation, wrote Chio H. Coker at Rolling Stone. But there was vulnerability too. Lead single, Dear Mama, was a tear-jerking tribute to his mother, Afini, that hit number 9 on the Billboard Hot 100 in April 1995. All Eyes On Me Tupac's debut for Death Row, the double-length album All Eyes On Me, came out in February 1996, with his new hip-hop group Outlaws debuting on the album. All Eyes on Me was an unapologetic celebration of the thug life lifestyle. Eschewing socially conscious lyrics in favor of gangsta funk hedonism and menace. Dr. Dre, who had pioneered G-Funk with N.W.A., produced the album's first single, California Love, which went to number one on the Billboard Hot 100 and remains Tupac's best-known song. The third single from the album, How Do You Want It, also reached number one within two months of its release. Also within two months of its release, All Eyes On Me had been certified five times double platinum. It would eventually become diamond certified. How Do You Want It, released as a single uh, in June 1996, was more famous for its B-track, Hit Em Up, which aired Tupac's West Coast feud with East Coast bad boy rivals. On the song, Tupac spat venom at artists including Biggie Smalls, Lil' Kim, Junior Mafia, and Prodigy of Mob Deep. The track seemed to chillingly hint at Tupac's death and the ensuing conspiracy theories. So on September 7th, Tupac was in Las Vegas with Knight to watch a Mike Tyson fight at the MGM Grand Hotel. 
There was a scuffle after the bout between a member of the Crips gang and Tupac. Tupac and Knight then left the scene in the 1996 BMW. Knight, who was involved with the rival Bloods gang and a member of his entourage, piled in the car. Later, as the car that Tupac was sharing with Knight stopped at a red light, a man emerged from another car and fired 13 shots, hitting Tupac in the hand, pelvis, and chest. He later died at the hospital. His girlfriend, Kieda, and his mother, Afini, were both with him in his final days. Tupac died in Las Vegas on September 13, 1996, of the gunshot wounds inflicted six days prior. His murder remains unsolved. Tupac's body was cremated. Members of his old band, Outlaws, made the controversial claim that they had smoked some of his ashes in honor of him. His mother announced she would scatter her son's ashes in Soweto, South Africa, the birthplace of his ancestors, on the 10th anniversary of his murder. She later changed the date to June 16, 1997, Tupac's 26th birthday as well as the anniversary of the 1976 Soweto Uprising. On March 9, 1997, six months after Tupac died, Biggie Smalls was killed in a drive-by shooting in Los Angeles. His murder has never been solved. So that's the story of Tupac Shakur, his life growing up, struggles he went through, his prominent music career, and his untimely death. On part two, we will go over the conspiracies around the event. Who exactly shot Tupac? Was it a hit from the bad boys artist Biggie? Or did the word come down from Diddy Sean Combs? Is Tupac still alive, living out his life, out of the eyes of the public? Find out only at Higher Theories. You can find us on Instagram, Spotify, YouTube, Apple, and Google Podcast, Amazon Music, and anywhere else you listen to your favorite podcast. Thank you.